All right, tonight we're starting our series called Alpha and Omega. Everyone say Alpha and Omega. All right, Alpha and Omega mean the beginning and the end. And over the next few months in the fall, we're going to be leaning in to some really interesting books, Genesis and Revelation. Who's ever read through Genesis? Yeah, good book, good book. How, how many of y'all have read through Re- Revelation? Yeah. Okay, so I'm really proud of you guys. Well done. Okay, as you know, so if you've ever read through these books, these books are weird. All right, like, can, we, can we agree there? Like you, you open up Genesis and we know some of like the main stories, like creation, awesome, like the fall, oh, but God, like, God has a plan for redemption from the beginning. We'll talk about the next week, like, you know, okay, there's Father Abraham who had many sons and many, yeah, like, and then you have Joseph, all these really great stories. But if you read like verse by verse by verse through Genesis, like there's some really whack stuff, right? Like you read something and you're like, like that's me right now. I'm reading through Genesis with, with my brothers, Victor and Augustine. And sometimes I'll come across something and it's like, I never knew that was in there. That is weird. Okay, I'm still learning too. But then also in Revelation, right? Like there's a billion things in there. It's like, what on earth does this mean? Like maybe like as a kid, like you read through Revelation and like the only thing going through you like that you could like respond to with like any sort of sound is like, ah, right? Like what's this going to, when is this going to happen? What's this going to look like? Like what is, a, what is a rapture? Is that even a thing? I don't know. Like, like what is the beast seven, this seven? What in the world is going on? So let me put you at ease. When we, when we approach books like Genesis and Revelation, let me just kind of talk to you about one, some of the most important things when we approach scripture, when we approach the Bible. Everyone say the Bible. It's really important for us to know how we approach the Bible in the correct way. So let me tell you three things that the Bible is not. Everyone say not. Pay attention. I want you guys taking notes, okay? If you have a phone, pull it out. You can take notes on it. It's awesome. Just put on the do not disturb and don't be on Snapchat or Instagram or if the be real like, comes out tonight, I don't know when it comes out. Don't do it. Don't do it. That's like my biggest fear as a youth pastor is at like 747, all of a sudden it's like 100 cameras. I don't want that, okay? But I want to I uh, um, talk about three things that scripture is not, real quick. Number one is that scripture is not a self-help book. All right. Number one, scripture is not a self-help book. What, what we often like to do with the Bible is we open up this book and, and we kind of flip through until we find a really inspiring, beautiful uh, verse that doesn't challenge us at all and that we can kind of take out of context just to make myself feel better. And then I want to put it on this nice vibey coffee table over at Loyal or wherever you like to go. And I want to make sure like I have my latte position right, like where the art is showing. And then like I make sure there's good lighting and it's going to be really aesthetic and beautiful. I'm going to post on my Instagram story so everyone can be in courage and have like a helpful like this is how you can be a better person today anyone ever like maybe read the bible like that right like we open it up and say okay what's my helpful tip and trick for like how to be a better christian and not yell at my younger sibling yeah like we open up scripture and it's like okay this is like my little self-help like nugget of wisdom and friends that is not the purpose of scripture i'm gonna say it's not look at your neighbor and say it ain't okay so scripture is not a self-help book number two i'm say number two Number two is that scripture is not a science textbook or a textbook of any sorts. The word textbook may be triggering for some of you guys right now. I'm sorry. Welcome back to school. It is what it is. Okay, scripture is not, everyone say not. Not a textbook, meaning this, specifically when we approach the book of Genesis. It's really easy for us to want to open up the Bible to, to answer all of our, all of our questions that, that honestly scripture is not really like trying to answer. Right? We can open up Genesis and try to get all these like scientific like, like views on like creation and how old the earth is and all these different things. And 
while like, yeah, those conversations can be good and important, that's not the goal of Scripture. The goal of it is not to answer all of our questions and to be a science textbook. You with me? It's not a self-help book. It's not a science textbook. And number three is that the Bible is not, everyone say not. The Bible is not the news or spiritual weather forecast. Okay? So when we pick up Revelation... Or really, any teaching when it comes to the end times. We talked about this months ago as we were going through the book of Matthew and Jesus' very words on the end times. The goal of Scripture is not for you to be the greatest spiritual weatherman or weatherwoman on earth. And you read through the whole Bible, you read Revelation, and you're like, March 6th, 2043, it's happening. He's coming back. That's not the goal, okay? Many people have tried and everyone has failed, okay? Everyone has failed. If you're wondering about that, Jesus himself says, no one knows the hour or the day. No one knows when, I'm going, when the Son of Man is going to return besides God the Father. So Jesus doesn't even know. So I don't think you're going to know by being like a really good spiritual weather forecaster. Are you with me? So, so the goal of the book of Revelation is not for us to get a prediction or anything along those lines. So what is the purpose of the Bible. Listen to me. The purpose of the Bible is this. The Bible shows us the character of God. From before creation, during creation, throughout all of the story, all the way to the end times that we are, that's written about in Revelation. Scripture tells us about who our God is. Everyone say who. That's really funny here, 300 people. Who? Yeah, like scripture tells us about who our God is. And, and what God has chosen to do is he's chosen to reveal himself through the Bible. So when we read these stories, when we read about who God is in the very beginning, and, and as we read about who God is at the very end, during the end times, we see who God is, who he has always been, and who he will be in the future and who he is today because we see in Hebrews it says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and what? Tomorrow and, and forever. Either one works. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So as we lean into this series and anytime you read scripture, you know the best question that you can ask? What does this passage say about who God is? Not what, what can I pull out of this so I can like go into finals and feel less stressed? Like any of y'all ever done like the find a really good Bible verse that's encouraging me that like even though I didn't study for my tests, like divine wisdom, Lord, wisdom and revelation. Okay, I, God, please, I hope that one works. Like, like no, no, no. The goal of scripture is to, is to open it up and say, who is Jesus? Lord, open my eyes to be able to see more of who you are. Are you with me? Okay, so this is what we're going to do, is we are going to go ahead and read a very familiar passage of Scripture in Genesis 1. As we read through Genesis, we read through Revelation, I want us to remember that Genesis is telling us about who God is, his intention with creation, his purpose with it, who he is, and his plan for redemption that starts in Genesis 3 at the fall, which we'll talk about next week. So let's go ahead and get ready to jump into Genesis 1. This is what I need you guys to do because you're still a little bit, a little bit sleepy, a little bit tired. I don't want anyone like screaming at me. It's a little terrifying. But I need everyone like, like, verb, like verbally responding with me. We good? Yeah. Very good. Okay. So this is what's going to happen. Is jo my, my boy Joseph's going to go ahead and put Genesis 1, 1 up there. And what we're going to do is we're going to read through Genesis 1, a very familiar passage. I'm going to try to read through it in like, like a second because we don't have a ton of time. And there's so much I want to say. I'm so excited to be here tonight. Okay. So uh, what we're going to do is we're going to read this. And anytime you see the word good, I want you to yell it out when you see it on the screen. Okay. Everyone say good. 
Okay, our God statement tonight is God is good. So let's go and open up scripture. Anytime you see the word good on the screen or if you have a Bible, amazing, good for you. I see y'all. I, look at y'all in the front row. I see you. Okay, Genesis 1, 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without, without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light was good. There you go. I should have paused. My bad. My bad. I'm, I'm going too fast. I didn't even see it. Okay. God thought it was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. Everyone say water. water. You, get, you get the point? Waters. Okay. There we go. And it was so, and God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so, God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together, he called seas. And God saw that it was. Ooh, there you go. Okay, verse 11. And God, and God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit, tr- fruit trees. Man, I'm reading so fast. Fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed. Wow, I'm, I'm struggling. Stay with me. Each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. We're halfway there. We're not even in day seven, okay? We're almost there. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be be for signs and for seasons, for days and for years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so, and God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was. Yeah. Yeah. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. Are you guys seeing the rhythm with this? God creates, he speaks, he says it was good. There was morning, there was evening, the next day. Here we go. Verse 20, and God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves. Is anyone like a Shark Week fan? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I am so not and my wife likes it. I was watching it with her like a few weeks ago. Terrifying, okay? It's great creatures. Sink the terrifying sharks, okay? Let's go. Uh, with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind and God saw that it was. Yeah. Now pay attention to this. This is the first time we see this. And God what? Blessed. There you go. And God blessed them. And saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to its kind. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was. Now pay attention here. Pay attention here. Shh. Verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image. After our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the, of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Pay attention here. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. Go and skip forward to verse 31 with me. This is after God speaks the words of blessing over humanity, and then it says, verse 31, and God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was good, yes, but also it was very 
Where is it? It was very good. Yes, it's up there. It was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. You with me? You seeing the point? Okay. If you have your Bibles, flip over to the very, very end of your Bible, Revelation 21. If you don't have your Bible to follow along, this is actually what I want you to do. I want you just to go ahead and close your eyes right where you're at. I want to close... I want you to close your eyes and I want to read this passage and I want you to try to picture this scene. This is one of the most beautiful passages in scripture to me. Right before we get to Revelation 21, we see the final defeat of Satan, the accuser of the brothers, the one who lies and deceives. He is thrown away for eternal judgment in Revelation 20 and then we open up to Revelation 21 and this is what it says. Go ahead and close your eyes. I want you to try to picture this. This is John describing the vision he was given by Jesus. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Pay attention here. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. The former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Go ahead and bow your head, and let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we need you. God, we want to know deep down in our hearts that you are truly good. That you are truly good. We don't want that just to be something we know in our heads, but we actually don't believe in our hearts. We don't want that just to be a churchy saying that we can say, God is good all the time. God is good. It doesn't really mean anything. God, we want to deeply believe that who you are is good, that you are the very definition of goodness. So Holy Spirit, open our eyes and our hearts to see who you are, your goodness and your beauty. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And everyone said, amen. 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 Everyone say, God is good. God is good. good. If you've grown up in church or even if you haven't, it's probably a statement you have heard. Now the reality is that we call a lot of things good. Am I right? Like, right? Like think about how many times the word good or synonym for the word good comes out of your mouth. Honey, how was your day at school? How, how was food? Is this place, uh, how, is, how is in and out Is it, what, it, great, great, yeah. Like, the, the amount of times that we use the word good or amazing, like, like, there's a billion words, right? Amazing and incredible and fantastic, all these different things. When I think about, like, what it's like to be, like, going through middle school, high school, even, like, college, it's, like, really the main, like, 99% of, like, slang language, I feel like, is this. Is just different words for the word good. Am I right? Right? So like back like maybe like 10 years ago, like the word that like everyone used was fire. 
right? Like, bro, that burger was fire. You always like had to say it intense, right? Like, like that movie was fire. This, this taco, fire. Like everything was like, like you would describe it as fire. Like you wouldn't say good because good is used so much. It kind of doesn't mean anything. It's like you have to have a good creative word like fire. Or, or if you see like the evolution of this word, like we have like the word like smacks. Anyone ever, ever use that one? Be like, bro, Chipotle smacks. Bro, that movie smacks. Bro, that song smacks. Or, yo, that song hits. Or, like, that, that hits different. You know, it's like, there's, like, a billion different phrases. Like, maybe, like, I think, like, probably 80% of you really hate this word. And 20% of you, like, use it every other word, which is why everyone else hates it. Is the word bussin'. Right? <laughs> right? Like, 80% of you are like, if, if pastor says bussin' one more time during this message, I'm out. I'm out. I'm going to in and out because that place is bustling. I mean, that place is like great. Right? Like this word is like used all the time or, or like the one that I kind of forgot about like that I feel like is more recent is like, like cracked. Like bro, that place is cracked. That artist is cracked. Like it's like goaded. That's another one. Like there are a billion different words we use for the word good, right? So let me ask you this question. What does it actually mean? What does it mean for something or someone to be good? Everyone say good. What does it mean for something or someone to actually be good? Because what I want to present to you tonight is this, pay attention, is that we will only see God as good. If our definition of good is in who God is and what he says is good. We will only see God as a God who is truly good, who is the very definition of goodness if we know and believe that God is good and that he is the very standard for goodness and what he says is good is good. Are you with me? Because the reality is, is if you don't have the same definition as God, you're actually not going to see God as good. See, you know what, what the world wants you to believe is that, is that what goodness really is is just satisfying your desires, whatever puts you at ease, it's your own happiness, right? Whatever makes you happy equals good. Whatever, whatever you need to do to kind of fill a desire or a craving, like, well, that thing is, is good. And the reality is, is that this definition kind of goes everywhere and this actually breaks our world apart because we are all so consumed by what is good for me, what is best for me? What is my truth? What is good for me? And as we pursue that, what actually happens is we turn a blind eye to the rest of creation. And everyone starts living out for what is for, for their own good, which actually abuses and hurts other people. Are you with me? So what does it mean that God is good? The Hebrew word for good is this word tov. Everyone say tov. Everyone say tov. And what we see is that in Scripture, God is the very definition of what is good. We see in the Gospels, someone comes to Jesus and they start their question off by saying, good teacher. And then they ask the question and Jesus pauses them and says, why do you call me good? There is only one who is good, is God, the Father. God, God the Father is the very definition of what is good and what is not. What is good and what is evil. And, and the reality is what we see throughout Scripture is that, that God has a few different criteria. For something to be good, there's a few things. Pay attention to these. You can write these down. For something to be called good that exists, first of all, and what we see in creation is that what came into being functions precisely as God has purposed and planned. 
For something to actually be good, it must function as God has designed it. So, so let me explain this to you. So, so God has designed me. I exist because God chose me because he wanted to adopt me into his family for me to know his love and for me to glorify him. That's why I exist. So I exist to, to live as a child of God. And so when I live as a child of God, as a son of God, I actually walk in goodness. That is actually what's good, yes, for me, but also everyone around me. But when I fail to do that, it actually results in brokenness, right? So what we see is when something functions as God has uniquely and beautifully designed it, it is good. Everyone say good. Second thing is that which, is, that, that, that which exists or that has been created contributes to the well-being of all of creation. Everyone say all of creation. Come on, everyone say all of creation. And so for something to actually be good, it can't just be good for one person. It has to be good for all of creation. And this is where we get to the definition and standard thing. Let me demonstrate it like this. This is why we are terrible, uh, a terrible people to make the definition of good or goodness. Let me ask this question. Who here just live, laugh, loves Whataburger? Who, who here loves Whataburger? Yeah, I see you, Corley. All right, settle, settle, settle. We'll fight in a second. Don't, I'm kidding. All right, who here, who here loves In-N-Out? Yeah. A lot more In-N-Out love. Now, now, okay, now here we go, here we go. So, so a bunch, well, actually a smaller number of people, but some people in this room think that Whataburger is good. Everyone say good. And some people think that In-N-Out is good. Everyone say good. Now let me ask this question. Who in this room thinks that Whataburger is a nasty burger and it's overrated? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm raising both hands. I see you, Colin. Okay, like, I don't think that's a good burger. I don't want no patty that's like this wide and like this thick that's just covered with lettuce. I'm not a cow. Like, like give me like a good burger, bro. Like grilled bun or something. Like, like I think Whataburger is not it. If you're from Texas, Mr. Corley, I'm sorry. If you're from Texas, I know this offends you. I've heard Whataburger's better there. I disagree. I've had it. I've had it. I disagree. But anyways, like, we're, like we disagree there. But now let's, let's be fair. Who here thinks that In-N-Out is not that good or is super overrated? Go ahead. Go ahead. You guys, oh my heart. Okay, right? So what are we seeing in this room? Some of you are like, I don't even eat burgers, like vegan for life. I don't know. Like, like that, that ain't me, by the way. But like, let, let, okay, let's, let's take an example of this room on something as little as food. Shh. Like this isn't even like a big moral issue, right? Like we can disagree on this and still love Jesus together as we should, okay, unity. But like the reality is, is that some people in this room think that, that someone's definition of good food is ridiculous because they love Whataburger or In-N-Out. And some people, the only reason they agree with their definition is because they see that specific thing the same way. Shh, shh, listen, listen, are you tracking with me? That when we are the ones who define what is good, ultimately all that happens is everyone is only focused on their own good, which is actually at the detriment of all of God's creation. Are you with me? So for something to be truly good, it actually has to be for the well-being of all creation. So everything God does, everything God says, is not just good for you and for you and for you. It is good for every single person on earth. This is what makes God truly good. And the last thing is that for something to be good, it actually has to advance towards righteousness on the earth. 
Now, this is what I want to do. I want to see just two simple points. We're going to go back into worship. So if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Number one, as we talk about God being good, this is the first thing I want us to get across. Super simple. Because God is good, everything God says is good is good. Shh. Listen, pay attention. Because God is good, because he's the very definition of goodness, everything he says is good is good. Everything he says is good is good. He's, I think he amended that. Okay, go back to Genesis 1 with me. Go back to Genesis 1 with me. Starting in verse 27. This is what we see in the very beginning. Well, we, saw, we see this rhythm throughout all of creation. God speaks. It comes into existence. He creates it. God sees that it was good. And then there's morning, or there's evening, and there's morning the next day. Like, that's what we see, a pattern, a consistent pattern of God creating things, and he says that they are good. But then we get to day six, and this is what happens. Genesis 1, verse 27 says, So God created man in his own image. Everyone say image. Verse 26 says, that, let's make man in our own image after our likeness. Everyone say likeness. Image and likeness. Pay attention to those words. Shh, listen, listen, listen. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now let me, let me just lean into even this short verse for a second. What we see is that at the end of Genesis 1, after God creates everything and after God kind of puts uh, that ma- male and female to, to have dominion over the earth, to lead together, to take care of the earth that he has created as image bearers, as people made in his image and likeness. You know what God says is that it was very good. It was very good. And so what we see here is that, that God in his wisdom, sovereignty, and intentionality, and because he is good, He made humans in his image and his likeness, and he made them male and female. Now, everyone look at me. Everyone look at me. He made them male and female. There's a few things I want to point out with this. They're simple. Number one is this. I think sometimes we can approach this whole idea of being made in the image of God, his image and likeness, and we think that it's like primarily men are made in the image and likeness of God, and like women are secondary. Like, Like Eve kind of came later, but... And the reality is, I want you guys to hear this, that's a lie. That's a lie. What do, what do we see God saying in the beginning is that male and female, he created them in his image and likeness. So you know what that means? Ladies, I want you to look at me. That God has made you intentionally. And that you are made in his image and his likeness. Meaning that you are really good. That when God looks at you, he says, that's really good. He says, you're beautiful. He says, you're intentional. He says, I made you on purpose. That you're not a mistake. That you actually represent him. You are made in his image and likeness. Now what this also means is that, is that what it actually looks like to, to represent God in his image and likeness is this. That females by themselves can't do it and males by themselves can't do it. Okay? Let's, let, let's lean into that, okay? I feel like there's like a little bit of like subtle tension. Like, what is he going to say? Is he sexist? What's going to happen, right? I'm not. All right. Like, like listen, what I, what I believe is that God in his wisdom and being intentional, 
He made male and female in his image and likeness. And because we were made in his image and likeness, we are called to represent God. Everyone say represent. But everyone said represent. We're called to represent God to the world, to call him to know his love, to know who he is. And so the reality is, is that that's not just a thing for men or not just a thing for women, but actually that we need each other. Look at your neighbor and say, I need you. Look at your other neighbor and say, I need you. Right, like we talked about this at student camp in the summer. The very first thing that God says is not good is that it is not good for man, mankind to be what? To be alone. Shh, listen, it's not good for mankind to be alone. So the reality is that God has actually made us together to need each other in friendship, in, in, in brother and sister, in Christ relationships where we are together following Jesus alongside one another. So let me, let me speak to this very clearly. What does that mean practically? That means that bullying, that means that mistreating people, that means that abuse, that means that clicks. That means anything that brings division. That means anytime you're looking at someone as less than you, it breaks the heart of God. Listen to me. Everyone listen to me. Please pay attention. Some of you, you walk into this room and you actually feel isolated and you feel like maybe like the good Christians are like the one who are like are the ones who are kind of isolating you. Hear me. That breaks God's heart. He has made us to be together, to love one another, to care for one another. And so the reality is, is that when you mistreat your brother or sister in Christ, what you're actually doing is saying, God, I know you say that like you have made people good, that they are your creation. We see in, one, in Psalm 139 over and over, God's saying, hey, I have made you fearfully and wonderfully, uniquely. I have designed you. It says that he knit us together in our mother's room. So that means God has intentionally made every person in this room. So what does that mean? When you look at someone and you judge them. When you look at someone, it's like, oh, they're in that clique and they all suck and I'm not like that. I'm, I'm with my clique that I, I never am nice to anyone else besides like my friends. I'm not like that. Right? Like the reality is, is like you're actually not seeing who they are in God because God says they are very good. Everyone say good. So friends, my heart for this youth ministry, and let me just say this out the gate, is that like, even like cutting sarcasm, roasting each other, not being kind to one another, not being open to each other. Shh, listen, not being open to each other, not kind of breaking away from your friend group for like a minute to go and like meet someone new and welcome them to church. Like that's not okay. That breaks God's heart and that's not who he is. He has made every person his image and likeness. We need each other. We need to see that. Are you with me? So what God says is good, is good. God has made you intentionally, and he loves you. Number two is this. Everyone say number two. Number two is this. Because God is good, everything God does is good. Because God is good, everything God does is good. Worship team, you guys can go ahead and come on up. Like for real. They always make fun of me because I call the worship team up and it's like 15 minutes later, I'm actually done talking. I'm not going to do that tonight. We don't got time. Drew, you can bring the lights down a little bit, bro. Because God is good, everything God does is good. 
pay attention. Just lean in, lean in, lean in. We only have a few more minutes together. What we see in Genesis 1, literally the very first pages of Scripture, is that everything God does is good. That when he speaks, when he creates, when he blesses, what he does is good. And when it comes all together in the unity, it's, it's very good. Now, let's be honest in this room tonight. Because I think a lot of you in this room, you're like, yeah, yeah, like, God is good and all the time. God is good, yeah. I grew up in church. I, I learned that one when I was like a year and a half. Those were my first words. God is good. And I think if you're to be honest with yourself, maybe some of you in this room, you're looking at your life, your circumstances, your family situation, the brokenness that you're facing or that you're feeling, the brokenness in our world. Like there, there are literally fires like, like breaking apart our world physically right now. There is such horrible division. Even the church is like gross and disunified across, across the earth. Divisions and we don't believe that and you're, you're crazy and you're... Like if you're to be honest with yourself, it's like, Pastor Taylor, that's awesome that you say God is good and like he created things and he said they were good. But like, I don't see a whole lot of goodness around the world. So... so how do I actually believe that God is good? Any of you guys ever asked that question? How do I actually see God as good? How, how do I know God is actually good? Let me read this passage from, from Revelation one more time. One of my favorite passages in Scripture. At the very end of Scripture, as Jesus is, is returning, to make all things right, to judge living and the dead. The writer of Revelation John says this, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, shh, listen, listen, listen. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. If you don't use that word dwell typically, this means he will be with them. It's gonna be right there with them. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither, neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away and he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Friends, what I want to encourage you with tonight is this. That number one, we can be assured that God is good because he's demonstrated in his son, Jesus. Right? Like, even in the midst of our questions and our doubts, guess what? God is not afraid of your questions and your doubts. And, like, he actually, like, invites you to bring those to him, okay? If, like, you've, if you've been told that, like, faith is all about, like, I'm never going to doubt, I'm never going to question, like, no, God is good, God is good. No, that's, that's not what faith is. 
what we see is that truly God reveals the promise and, and like the reality of his goodness and his love in this, that God sent his son Jesus to die for you. That while you were stuck in sin, while you were powerless, knowing full well all the times you would fall short and mess up badly, Jesus came and died for you. And Jesus made a way. Everyone look at me. Everyone look at me. Look at me. I don't want anyone on their phone. No one talking. Look at me. Jesus made a way for us to have relationship with God again. Something we could not do because every single one of us are sinful. And then we see that Jesus, he, he ascends to heaven and he gives us the Holy Spirit. So as we walk through pain and suffering and trial, which listen to me, I know a lot of you are. I know a lot of you are. That you're facing just, just brokenness in your family that every single day, like you see it and it breaks you. Shh. Hey guys, pay attention. Quiet. Every single day you feel that. You, you walk into your school and maybe you're bullied regularly. Maybe you're isolated because you're Christian. Maybe you have no friends. Maybe you are mistreated. And it's like, a, it's a blaring reality that there's a lot of brokenness in the world you live in. And friends, the first way that we see God's goodness is that he has made a way for you to not be alone. He's made a way for you to not be alone as you face those things. When Jesus ascended, he gave you the Holy Spirit so that you are not alone. That you can come directly to God the Father and say, Lord, I'm struggling. I need your help. I'm broken. I need you to heal me. But the second thing is this, friends, pay attention. Is that that's not where the story ends. And we can often talk like that's where the story ends. Jesus died on the crossroads, he, he ascended, gave us the Holy Spirit just to try to help us through like the really terrible things on earth. And thank, oh, sorry about that. Thank God, I don't know what's happening. Thank God that's not how the story ends, right? Like the end of the story is this, what we see in Revelation 21 and 22, when Jesus is gonna come back and make all things new. And all death, all suffering, all pain will be dealt away with forever. And I love this, this, this beautiful illustration, this picture that it gives us, that he will wipe every tear from your eye. Can you like maybe think of like a memory when you were maybe a little kid or maybe even recently? When you were going through something hard or, or you fell and like you scraped your knee as a three-year-old and like you're crying like, like you just experienced the worst trauma on earth. And, and, and mom or dad or someone who really loves you comes and picks you up and they hold you while you're crying and they wipe the tears away from your eyes. That's what Jesus himself will do for you. Jesus himself is a God who gets down close to us and says, I'm here. I'm making all things new. And hey, listen, I know that the abuse that you have faced, it is not okay. I'm dealing with that. That sin will be punished. I know what you have experienced, loneliness, the depression, the anxiety, the addiction, the things that have been so difficult in your life. I know I'm, I'm dealing with that and that will be gone forever. 
comes and he promises that he will wipe every tear from our eye and make all things new. So this is what I want us to do. I want us to stand up and get on our knees. Let's go ahead and stand up and get on your knees. No one's saying a word. Shh. If you have to kind of move out of your seat, that's fine. As we go back into worship, I want you to ask this question. I want you to ask this question. Where am I doubting that God is good? In what area of my life am I doubting or struggling to believe that God is good? I believe it's C.S. Lewis who says that, that, that every sin stems from the suspicion that God is not good. We see this in the fall. Did God really say? Oh, it's only because God doesn't want you to be like him. There's a suspicion. Is God really good? And my invitation to you tonight, as we respond in worship, is not just to sing a song because I mean, you know the song is catchy and easy to sing. I want you to sing this out if you believe that God is good and if you want the Holy Spirit to help you to see God's goodness, even in the midst of the pain and the suffering you're facing in your life. Just go ahead and close your eyes right where you're at. Jesus, we need you. Lord, we don't want to just know in our head that you are good. We need your help to deeply believe that in the highest highs and the lowest lows and the mountains, the valleys, and in the pain and the suffering and the brokenness we see in our life. Help us to know that you are good because you are with us and because we have the assurance, the promise, the deeply founded hope that you will come back and make all things right. So give us faith to believe that you are good. In Jesus' name, let's go ahead and worship together, friends.